Welcome to the Motor City Hoops Podcast, your home for all things Detroit Pistons and NBA. Thank you for choosing Motor City Hoops, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Hey, Hoopheads, once you finish listening to this episode, be sure to check out the rest of the Hoopheads Podcast Network for even more great basketball content. Welcome to episode 44 of the Motor City Hoops podcast. As always, I've had some great guests recently, so if you haven't had the chance, make sure you go and check out those episodes after you finish this one. And this episode is one that you're going to love. I'm joined by Keith Smith, the go-to guy for NBA salary cap content and free agency contracts. He is a contributor at Spot Track, Celtics Blog, Spotify Green Room, and the Front Office Show. Keith, welcome to the podcast, and thank you for joining me. Uh, thanks for having me. I'm impressed. You got spot track right, right <laughs> off the first try. <laughs> We're already off to a great start. Good, good. That's I've listened to a couple other podcasts you've been on, and I've been reading on your Twitter handle. I'm like, I'm going to get this stuff right. And I, <laughs> I appreciate that, man. That's awesome. As I was reading through it, I was like, man, I didn't double check to make sure all of this was right, you know, off your Twitter page. So I was hoping all of the all of those were still correct. So all good. Yep. So today we're talking all things Detroit Pistons contracts, free agents, and salary cap. Was Kelly Olynyk good market value? What was the status of Saban Lee coming off a two-way? What do non-bird rights mean for Frank Jackson? And what will a Hami Diallo contract look like? We're even we're going to dive into these questions and more and go around the NBA. But first, I want to start off with the current state of the Pistons, which you tweeted the other day, Keith, was exactly at the salary cap. Is that still the situation? Uh, unfortunately for the cap nerd in me, it is not. <laughs> they, they have now uh, they have now gone over the salary cap. They were there until they uh, re-signed Corey Joseph using the room exception, and then they gave a minimum contract to Rodney Magruder, and that took them back over the salary cap. So, so for a glorious uh, moment in time, we were there, but unfortunately now we're we're back over, which is where the vast majority of teams operate anyway. Absolutely. So just uh, just for some context, how long have you been doing this, Keith? Uh, so I have been covering the NBA in a uh, uh, forward-facing role, uh, gosh, probably seven, eight years now. Um, but prior to that, I had been doing a lot of behind-the-scenes things at uh, various websites. I've done some work for a couple different teams, uh, a handful of different agencies and things like that. So I've, I've, been, I've been doing this stuff for, for a while. Okay, awesome. That's, that's awesome. So to, that leads me into this question because you kind of alluded, it to, alluded to it with your tweet. How often have you seen a team that literally was right at the salary cap, like right on the money? It happens about every three, four years. What will happen generally is when a team is using cap space, like the Pistons did this offseason, they will spend all of that cap space. Then they'll use exceptions to exceed the cap. Again, like Detroit did with Corey Joseph and then with um, a uh, – minimum contracts and those kind of things, or then re-signing a free agent uh, or something like that, which I presume they'll eventually re-sign Hamadou Diallo here uh, at some point. So we'll see. Um, But that is, so it's not super uncommon. It's just more one of those kind of fun things to know when it does happen. 
Absolutely. I, I mean, I thought it was cool. I, that was a tweet that was really interesting to me. And so you brought up Hami Diallo. Before we get into the current or look backwards or even the current player like Hami Diallo, who isn't, I mean, I guess he's uh, has his qualifying offer, but I want to look ahead just a little bit and looking into next season. Cause that's a, you know, the Blake Griffin contract will come off for the Pistons. And I just want to like, what does it look like they could probably possibly get to in cap room next off season? And what kind of a player would that make them on the open market? Like, are they talking, are we talking like a max contract spot or not quite that? What, what are we looking at next off season? Yeah, let me run some quick math for you here, and we'll, we'll be able to tell you real quickly. Um, looks like they'll be at about $74 million-ish. Uh, without being a downer, I don't project them to be a very good team next year. Uh, <laughs> so let's say let's throw a placeholder of let's call it $8 million, uh for the draft picks. So they'd be at about eight, $82 million or so on the books. So that should give them uh, well north of a of a, a mid-tier max deal. So not the, the 10-year plus max, but but the mid-tier max, the guys who are uh, six to uh, nine-year players or seven to nine-year players rather. Um, so yeah, $37 million or so in space. So that, that's a pretty good spot to be in. Yeah, and I assume I know that would take Josh Jackson off the books. I believe he's an unrestricted free agent next year, so there'd have to be some other room there. Um, but I just know that's an off season that a lot of Pistons fans are very interested in and excited about. If if we can show promise, you're right. You know, probably not going to be a great team, but we have Cade and a lot of these young guys, and maybe we can be more attractive um, next off season. So I was I was just interested to see kind of where what they would have to play with possibly next off season. Yeah, and I look at this year as kind of uh, the, I like to call it step forward years. And I think that's what this season will be for the Pistons. I think it's a chance to see good growth in the young players. Uh, I think their veteran additions were good ones. I know we're going to get into those. Uh, I think they were ones that made some sense for where the team is at. And then it's going to be, let's figure out how all these guys fit together. And then that's how you can start to plan for the future. Because if you realize, geez, you know, we have four guys who really need to play the three, then what, what what's our decision point here? Because Clearly, that's a position of strength, and maybe we could fill something else out a little bit better somewhere else and, and move on. But I, I think that this next season's a, a step forward position, and what, what you could see, which is a good thing that happens quite often in the NBA, is they could play really well, and then they could turn into – and what I mean by play really well is develop really well, not necessarily in the standings, but develop really well. And then you start to see those veteran players look at it and say, well, you know what? They're not that far away. I'm the guy who can get them over the top. I'm the guy who can come in and lift them. And I think that's what they're trying to set up for here moving forward. And that's all that that's music to my ears, Keith, as you I have a smile. I know we're not doing video, even though we're recording on zoom, but <laughs> you know, that, that put a smile on my face. Cause that's exactly how I see it play out. And, you know, that's, the vision I believe I have no firsthand knowledge whatsoever that I think Troy Weaver has and so I want to talk about Troy Weaver just a little bit and I know you cover all 30 NBA teams but I mean you Troy Weaver has got a lot of credit for cleaning up the cap situation in Detroit and and this is never a, a knock on any previous GM or front offices or anything like that but would you agree that over the 12 months he's done as good as possible kind of cleaning up the books and providing flexibility for this organization in terms of just straight cap yeah I think so it it was gonna happen to some extent anyway um but what 
uh, Troy Weaver hasn't done is kind of how do I put it? He he hasn't doubled down and made it worse, uh, which often we see. Sometimes general managers come in and they they might be feel pressure to put a winner on the floor right away, or they might feel, all right, you know, we've got to get things going in a certain direction. And I think what we've seen with him uh, here in the the early goings of his tenure running the team is he's not going to feel that pressure to all right, we have to win next season. We need to be great. I think he understands, you know, this is incremental. We're going to keep adding players and adding players and, and uh, we'll, we'll keep trying to push this thing forward versus it needs to be a jump from, you know, worst to first, if you will. And I, and I think for him, that's a smart play because what he could have done was said, there, well, we've got Blake Griffin. That contract is underwater for a couple of years. So the best path forward is to add players around him and just try to make this situation better. And I think he looked at it and said, nah, let's go a different way. Uh, well, let's, let, let's try to rebuild a slightly different way, and then we'll let the Blake Griffin situation sh- sort itself out, which it did. Yeah, and I think – uh, that's what really was encouraging to Pistons fan is they love the direction that Troy Weaver decided to go um, with that. I think it was very encouraging. And obviously the young guys playing well helped that. So you brought up, brought up Blake Griffin. So before um, we move on to the current offseason additions, how unusual, I know this was talked about a little bit, how unusual was the Blake buyout in terms of the money he gave back? And it, did, did it surprise you that he gave back that much? Or did you think he would give back more? What were your kind of thoughts whenever you saw that? No, it really was a surprise, the amount that he gave back. And I think it was a position for Blake Griffin. I'm not going to spin it as he wanted to get out of Detroit that badly. I just think Blake Griffin was looking at it and saying, you know what, I'm not giving back so much money that now I'm, you know, he didn't give back, you know, all of it (laughs) by any means. So I think, think if you're Blake Griffin, your attitude was, you know, I don't, at this point in my career, I don't want to play out the end of it on a bad team. I want to go somewhere. I want to compete. I want to have the chance. He clearly knew uh, whether it was the Nets or somebody, and and obviously it ended up being the Nets, that he was going to have that opportunity to do that. So I think for him, it was a decision of, yeah, let's, let's get my freedom and let's get somewhere else. And then for Detroit, it's a win too, because that allowed them to do some things this off season that they probably wouldn't have been able to do otherwise, as far as, the way they built out the team. And, and quite frankly, in last year's uh, uh, end of the year after Blake Griffin was bought out, not that Blake was going to have a massive impact on winning a, at, at that point in his career, but you might have won an extra game or two, and that might have made the difference in the lottery. So all things together, I think this has worked out well for everybody involved, including Blake Griffin, uh, who's now found himself playing a key role on a championship contender. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I've, I've said that I thought Troy Weaver, you know, handled his, everything worked out good as you just outlined for Blake Griffin. It also allowed, you know, roles for other guys on the Pistons roster to expand and grow. And I thought Derek Rose situation, I know that was a trade. It wasn't a buyout or anything, but I thought it worked out well there too for Derek Rose going to New York. I just, I thought he handled those two veterans very well. Maybe that happens more often than not, but I've just said, I thought that was really good. Um, I don't know if press is the right word, but, um, really good really good for the organization, you know, that those guys probably left, you know, with a good taste in their mouth. Yeah, that that kind of thing is huge. And it's often overlooked by people because what you're really doing is 
you're building a relationship with the uh the, the agents and the players and you're setting a tone of, Hey, we're going to take care of you here in Detroit. If things aren't working out for you here, we'll make sure we get you off to a situation where maybe it can work out for you and those kind of things. And, and not every transaction is going to go that way, right? There's going to be a point in time and in Troy Weaver's tenure running the Pistons where he's going to trade somebody to a situation they probably don't want to go to, but it's because it's what's best for the Pistons. But I think as long as you don't uh, get that ruthless kind of attitude of, you know, it's only about the team and never about the player and those kind of things, everybody knows it's a business in the end, but when you can take care of a player, it never hurts to take care of a player. Absolutely. I a hundred percent agree. I think the agent thing is definitely, I don't want to say overlooked, but overlooked sometimes by people, you know, like these guys share agents and maybe it helps us down the road. So I, I just think that positivity is a good thing, but let's move to this year's free agents. Obviously the, the, the cream of the crop, at least for the Pistons was Kelly Olynyk. I'll be completely honest, Keith. Initially, I, I wanted Nerlens Noel for this team based on play style and what I thought this team needed. I've since doing film breakdown and stuff really bought into the Kelly Olynyk and, and his fit. But first, I just want to talk. I want to clear something up or uh, it's actually for me. Is there a third year team option or is it a partial guarantee? Yeah, it's a partial guarantee, and those things do matter. There is a, a difference in those. Um, so what a team option is, and you can it gets even more confusing because you can have a team option on top of a partial or non-guaranteed contract, but a team option is essentially when the 2022-23 season comes to an end, if there's a team option like there is on well, – let me. I'm just going to cherry pick somebody here like Saban Lee. There's a team option on his contract. What happens in that final year is he's now a pending free agent. And unless you pick that up, you cannot trade him. He cannot be involved in, in trades after the trade deadline. Uh, not this year, obviously. I'm talking about next season, 22-23 season. Uh, so you you would have to hang on to him. In the case of Olenek, you can trade him because he's under contract. An option is it's there, but it's not official until it's it's uh, been exercised or it's been picked up is the way it's often referred to. So I think uh, they did well with Kelly Olenek because what they've done now is they've put themselves in a position to say, all right, no, we, we can still use him as a trade asset in a couple of years because of that non-guarantee at the or that partial guarantee at the end. So yeah, so with Olenek, that final season is about twelve point two million with with three million guaranteed. So it actually makes him easier to trade going into that third year yep. than it would if it was a team option. Exactly, because okay. what, what happens? Okay, in, so so let's say you're a team and you're like, geez, you know we. We, we really don't want Kelly Olenek, but we want to make this trade. What you can do is you can acquire him, and then that team could go ahead and say, you know, we're waving him. Or you could acquire him and say, all right, you know, we want him. Or you could even say, we're going to fully guarantee that contract, and and that turns into the other way we're able to make a trade because $12.2 million goes a long way towards salary matching in a trade or something along those lines. And generally, we're talking a trade at the NBA draft. I know everybody got all fired up this year because Boston and uh, Oklahoma City made that trade of uh, Al Horford for Kemba Walker. Um, and people were like, oh, man, look, we're going to get all these trades. And it was, yeah, that's the first time since, oddly enough, since I'm on a Pistons podcast with you here, uh, Stan Van Gundy was the last guy to do trades 
trades uh, at that point in the offseason. Uh, he did that a couple times with, with the Pistons. Um, but it's 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 more we're talking about trades at the NBA draft or draft week or right around the draft. But it just gives you a little, little bit of flexibility you wouldn't have otherwise that a team option doesn't really grant you. You're going to hear a lot of people use the terms interchangeably, and they're really not because the other thing with the team option is – if you decline it, there's generally not any money owed to the player. In uh, in this case with Kelly Olynyk, uh, if the Pistons, you can't decline the, a partial guarantee. What you would do is you would waive him, and then they would eat the three million dollars on the books if they if it got to that point. I got you. So that that makes a lot of sense. And I say I, I'd heard both reported, so I wanted that cleared up. But the, how you describe both, I really appreciate because now it kind of makes sense why one would be more valuable than the other. Um, so staying on Olenek for just a second, what kind of player do you see? You know, I kind of alluded to maybe I wasn't sure whether he would be a better fit or a Nerlens Noel. We don't have to compare them, but do you like Olenek with this team? I know I've really, it's grown on me and other people. And just in terms of his value and the player he is at his age, do you think it was a good market value? Like, was this a good contract? Um, even outside of the terms of maybe just the money. Yeah, no, I do. I think, uh, him getting, uh, let's call it 12.2 this year and 12.8 next year. And then we we've talked about that last year. I think that's fair value for what Kelly Olenek is. He gives them a dimension that they don't really have at that, that, big position right now he he can step out and shoot the ball he's a very good passer uh at that position i know people are maybe a little focused because and, and this sounds crazy to me that kelly olenek is now 30 years old because i still remember when the celtics drafted him and it feels like that was like two years ago <laughs> um and he's going into his ninth season in the nba now but i i think that is a you know really good fit that i think it was Almost similar reaction to the Mason Plumley contract, where it was like, what are they doing? Why, yep. why this? But I think Olenek is an even better fit because you can run a lot of the same stuff you ran with Plumley, where he's kind of your facilitator at the elbow or at the top of the key. Uh, but he also has the range to be able to shoot it. He can put the ball on the floor for a couple of dribbles. He's kind of a crafty finisher. And he's a better defensive player than he gets credit for. He, he's not great. Uh, but he can block some shots. He's he's okay at the point of attack. He can switch a little bit because he can move his feet for a big guy. So all around, I, I think it's a good value signing. I, I'm not, I don't want to go crazy. I'm not going to say, you know, hey, this lifts them into the playoffs or anything like that. But I think what, what I think Troy Weaver and Dwayne Casey are trying to do is set an environment where all these young guys, which they have so many young players, um, they are getting um, – guys around who can help them, guys who can help them develop, guys who can make the game easier for them. And that's what I think a player like Kelly Olynyk does, Jeremy Grant, a couple of the other veterans that, that they added uh, this offseason or re-signed, I guess is a better way to put it. I think those guys all help make the game easier for the kids. And I think that's really, really important at this stage of their development. Yeah, I mean, I agree 100% with Kelly Olenek. Like I said, I went and did a film breakdown for Detroit Bad Boys. If you guys haven't checked that out, please do so. But the defense surprised me because, you know, he has this rep just automatically. He's so bad. And yeah, he, you're not going to go one-on-one against Carl Anthony Towns or Joel Embiid, which who can against those guys? But sure. I, I thought he was a good team defender. You know, he's a guy that's going to rotate correctly. You know, not great protecting the rim, but can block a shot here or there, maybe take a charge. I just thought it was he's a neutral defender is what I would call him or that's what I felt like. 
like. And then when you add in the offensive game, that's good enough. But you brought up what he does for the young guys. And I think that's huge. I, I think that's the main reason he got brought in or, um, because of like Cade Cunningham, Killian Hayes, opening up the floor for those guys. And so just before we move on to Corey Joseph, another one of these vets, I have to ask about Cade Cunningham. You know, he's, he's everybody's favorite in Detroit right now. We've, we've had a couple summer league games. We're about 20 minutes into the episode, Keith. And I feel like people shut it off if I don't bring up Cade. So can we just get your quick thoughts on Cade Cunningham? Um, either what he was coming in or if you've seen any summer league games, what you think about Cade Cunningham as a player? Yeah, no, I watched all the summer league that he's played. I um, I was high on him. I thought he should have been the number one pick. So it's funny. I don't give the Pistons a whole lot of credit for drafting him <laughs> because you just didn't screw up, right? It's it's just you know one of those things where it's like, hey, good job, you did what you should have should have done. But I probably should maybe give a little bit of credit because a lot of times teams don't do that. Uh, but yeah, I, I think this kid was the best player in the draft. I think his all around play is what everyone is looking for in the NBA right now. This is, you want guys who can handle the ball, guys who can create shots for themselves, guys who can create shots for others, guys who can score at all three levels, you know, whether it's hit three pointers, it's hit those mid range pull ups, or get all the way to the basket and finish. I think he's going to eventually become a better defender. I think right now it's like so many young players, especially young players who, who are uh, very offensively gifted. I think he just is kind of, he goes through the motions on that end sometimes, but I think what will happen is having a guy like Jeremy Grant there to push him. Uh, vets like Corey Joseph, we already talked about Olenek, uh, even you know guys like Jaleel Okafor, Rodney Magruder have been around for a little bit now. Uh, a player like Josh Jackson, I think, can even help from the standpoint of hey, you don't want to end up like me, you know, and uh, not not take this serious. So I, I think. Um, and I don't even know that that's going to be a problem for Cade Cunningham. So I think think they did great with him in summer league. Everything he did made me feel just as good as I did before. I think there's weird fits with him and Killian Hayes. I'm going to be very curious to see how that plays out. But that's what the season is for, is figuring that stuff out and deciding, all right, these are the guys long-term uh, that we're going to build around, and these are guys we're going to go forward with. But, yeah, I think they nailed that pick, and, and I think he's going to be great. Yeah, that's, I mean, there, there's been a lot of questions around Killian right now, you know, dating back to last season and, you know, summer league, a little overreactions maybe, but that will be interesting. I, what you said at the very beginning about Kate is what I like the most. You know, a lot of fans want a wow factor. You know, Jalen Green has a wow factor and I love Jalen Green and it's, it's no knock on Jalen Green. It's just, sometimes you feel like you have to defend Kate by knocking Green down and I don't mean to do that, but the wow factor for me with Kate Cunningham is that he does everything like you said, yeah. you know, it's, it's not going going to be a poster or some crazy step bag it's watch the whole game and all the different ways he impacts it and that's what should wow you yeah exactly it's he is going to i'm gonna say he's gonna be kind of he'll kill you softly with yep. consistency uh, versus, you know, Jalen Green. Yeah, Jalen Green might might finish the season with five times as many highlight plays as Cade Cunningham. But in the end, I think you're going to look at him and be like, wow, you know, Cade Cunningham's year was really, really good. And I, and I think, too, the, I don't want to go too far with that because I think Cunningham will deliver uh, plenty of wow plays as well. I'm not, I'm not fully sold. I know a lot of people were talking about him being a true point guard and those kind of things. I, I – tend to look at it a little bit more as 
positions for me are about who you defend. And I don't see him ever really getting down into a stance and defending, you know, super quick point guards and those kind of things. But I think as a high volume ball handling wing, hundred percent, that's what he's going to be. He's a guy who, who they'll, my guess is probably the holidays. They will be begin to run a uh, heavy amount of their offense through him, and we'll see a tail off on the uh, the point guards on the roster, and even on Grant some. And then that second half of the season, from you know just before the All Star break onwards, it'll be clear that this is Kid Cunningham's team to run. Absolutely. So you you brought up Corey Joseph, uh, one of those veteran guys. I was really happy to have Corey Joseph back. Um, we kind of knew that we probably wasn't coming back on the contract he was on. It was one of those partial guarantees that we discussed earlier. Um, I was really impressed because when that trade happened, you know, if you talk to Sacramento Kings fans, they would have told you he was the worst player in the league. And I thought he played well <laughs> for Detroit. But I just want to talk about something specific in terms of, okay, he had that. What, what's the right term, Keith? We waived him or cut him with that partial guarantee. What's the right term? Yeah, I mean, you can use those interchangeably. Okay. The, the official term is waived. Okay. Um, a player, player is always waived. There's no um, – in Major League Baseball, and uh, I believe in the NFL, you can direct cut a player of certain types that, that then they aren't exposed to waivers after. Uh, in this case, in the NBA, there's not anything like that. So a player is always goes on waivers. But in this case, the Pistons clearly knew no one's going to claim a 12-plus million-dollar contract for Corey Joseph. So they, they, you know, waived him. He cleared waivers and then they were able to resign him after that. Okay. So they waived him. They waived Rodney Magruder as well. Is that something that, is that something that happens quite frequently, frequently where a player is waived and ends up resigning with their current team? Like, would you say that happens, you know, 10 times a season off season in the NBA, 20 times, you know, cause we had two here with the Pistons just this off season. Yeah, it's it's definitely not that often. It's uh, probably two, three times in off season you'll see something like this. Where uh, I think they, you mentioned the Kings fans weren't big fans of Corey Joseph. I think that's because at twelve plus million dollars, yeah, that's <laughs> a lot for Corey Joseph. Yes, uh, waving him from that and in the, how Detroit did this is they eat a two point four million dollar cap hit from the waiver. Then they resigned him for four point nine million, the, the entirety of the room exception at seven point three million dollars or so. Yeah, that's fair value for Corey Joseph, and you feel pretty good about it. And that's essentially what the investment is here. With Magruder, he was completely non-guaranteed, so they don't even have a cap hit from him. And then they resigned him to a minimum contract. And then Rodney Magruder for $5 million? Yeah, that's an overpay. Rodney Magruder for veteran minimum at $1.7 million, Perfectly fine. No issue with that whatsoever. So I think what we generally see is, Two, three times in offseason, this will happen. George Hill had this happen with him with Milwaukee uh, once upon a time a couple years back. Uh, it, it's just kind of generally if a guy's contract is a little too heavy and you can get out of it and then re-sign him for a lesser number that lowers your overall investment, then that's the best way to handle this. And that's that, that's why you see teams make, make moves like this. And then Corey Joseph got also a $5.1 million player option for next season so in a sense if you're Corey joseph's camp you really recouped any of the money you would have lost so he's not out anything he's but he's under contract for two years but the pistons really lowered their uh one-year investment which allowed them to create the cap space to do things like sino linick trey lyles uh bump saban lee and frank jackson and the other things that they did 
So uh, you brought up Saban Lee, Frank Jackson. I want to get in both of those because they both kind of had a, I don't know, you know, we'll start with Saban Lee. So we'll just start with that. How does it work for a guy coming off a two-way? Because that was Saban Lee, because that's something that was kind of confusing for Pistons fans in terms of, was he a restricted free agent? Could we give him a qualifying offer? Could he, was he unrestricted free agent? So can you just give us just like the background on a player coming off a two-way contract and kind of what rights, I guess, his team has for him? Sure. Yeah. Any player coming off a two-way contract is subject to restricted free agency. And what the qualifying offer is, it, it depends on one of two things. It's it's generally the qualifying offer is for a, a one-year contract um, that is then guaranteed for the two-way minimum amount, which is this year is about $84,000 or so. Um, or uh, did they did then you of course can always work out a new contract, which is exactly what Detroit did with both uh, Joseph and Jackson, or excuse me, uh, J- Jackson and Lee. I'm looking at my cap sheet and going a little. There's a lot of J names on this. Team. <laughs> this is, um, yes, there is. <laughs> and, uh, J's and L's. <laughs> um, I, I hadn't noticed that before, but uh, yeah. So uh, Jackson and Lee, to be clear. Uh, so yeah. So you 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 essentially what the Pistons, I think new was or we have something in both these guys so we're gonna make sure we can do what we can to keep them uh keep keep our rights on them is for as long as we can and then go and then clearly they were able to work out long-term contracts with both of them which is a win for the players and it's a win for the pistons because that's what the two-way process should do ideally is you're going to get these guys in you're going to develop them and whether it be you you uh promote them into a standard spot by converting the contract in season, or you re-sign them as a free agent in the off season to a standard contract. That's the goal of the, the two-way program. So it's really cool to see it work out uh, kind of d- double dip it and work it out with two guys for the Pistons. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that was really exciting um, for both of those guys. For, so I'll just, Frank Jackson is one of my favorite players on the Pistons, Keith. Um, you know, obviously, you know, you like all of the the players for the, for your team, but you know, Isaiah Stewart's a guy that stands out, Hami, who we'll get to in a second, but Frank Jackson, I love what he brought last year. I know he kind of had a career year and a huge jump in his three point shooting. Uh, I'm hoping that number is, is true, but he was had non bird rights. So what does, what does that mean? Like, what is the difference between bird rights, non bird rights and how that worked with him? Sure. Yeah. So there's t- three players are classified in the three buckets when they become free agents. They either have non bird rights early bird rights or bird rights. And what essentially that means is first part is it determines how big their cap hold is going to be, which is a placeholder amount that sits on the team's uh, cap sheet. The second thing it does is it determines um, the mechanisms you can use to resign the player. So we, we, I think at this point, a lot of people understand what full bird rights mean. Sure. Yes. That's yes. how you're able to see these people, uh, sign guys to, you know, these super max deals that are, you know, uh, Stephen Curry signs for nearly 50 million a year away and pushes the Warriors into a, you know, luxury tax stratosphere that's so far above the salary <laughs> cap, they can't even see it anymore. Um, Early bird rights that came into place with former Piston Reggie Jackson. Um, so what happens there is you're limited to how much you can sign that player for, uh, if you're over the cap, but they still give you an opportunity to keep them, uh, with that. And then the non bird rights, they're, they're extremely limited. And the main reason that the non bird rights become limited is the, the idea is you've had the guy for one season. You're not going to get. 
you know, incredible opportunity to re-sign that player after only having them for one season. It's kind of looked at it as, hey, if you thought he was going to be that good, you should have signed him for more than one year. Um, and I'm I'm oversimplifying a little bit, but sure, but that's sure. essentially you know how that works. So that that would be the case with with Jackson. Um, if I remember correctly, they they used his non-bird rights to give him a bump on his contract and that's how um they're able to to get him uh up i'm just double checking that to make sure i'm looking in a in one of my uh tracking documents here to to make sure i'm not uh saying something that's completely off base but but i'm 99 percent sure that's exactly how that that played out okay so and then for frank jackson he did receive one of those team options for year two right i, I have in my notes a true, true team option <laughs> true team option for frank yep. jackson okay yep. so here is we're still on the pistons and before we go to some around the nba stuff i have some questions uh, about some player skills in the nba draft and some of the things that happened in the uh, can, can i go back and yes absolutely the, yes correct one thing real quick absolutely they used cap space for frank okay. jackson so, okay that's what so, i was confused yep. about yeah yep. so they so they they did use his cap space because the non-bird would not have been enough to give him the amount of money he got. So they okay. used, used some cap space to, to get him up to the 3 million starting salary this season. Got you. Perfect. So um, I say, I want to talk about one more player before we go into some NBA stuff and, you know, some questions about just the NBA offseason in general, but I want to ask about Hami Diallo. What is his, would it be referred to as a cap hold right now or just his yep. qualifying offer, his cap hold? Yeah, in his case, they're actually the same number. Okay. Um, yeah, it's a lot of times a qualifying offer is lower than, than the cap. Hold. Okay. So, so Dennis sure. Smith Jr., like, right? Well, I was on spot track and his cap hold was like almost 18. I know he's gone yeah. now, but so yeah. what? Uh, okay. So I'm asking another question before we get to Hami. I'm <laughs> no, sorry. That's Keith. fine. It's all good. Uh, Dennis Smith Jr., why was his cap hold so much more than what his qualifying offer was? Yeah. Or, so or was that, it? Hey, no, you're you're right. It was um, guys coming off of the first round rookie scale contracts, which is what Smith Jr. is coming off of. If they don't make at least the average salary, which this year was just north of ten million dollars, um, they their cap hold is three hundred percent of the prior year's salary. So essentially, Uh-oh. three times whatever it was. So his, I want to say his last year's salary was five million or so, uh, five million and change, and then that pushed his cap hold up to be over seventeen million. Gotcha. The qualifying offer is a pre-described amount set by the CBA where. It is, it's a percentage based off of the prior year's salary. So it's much, say it works this, similarly to the cap hold. It's just not 300%. It's like maybe 30% higher, or uh, in some cases, some guys, it's even lower. Uh, so what that does is the qualifying offer goes out there. Qualifying offer is a one year contract offer that allows a team to retain match rates on a player as a free agent. Um, then, then, then that's what sits as a cap hold in the case of Hamadou Diallo, because he's coming off a second round, uh, pick contract. Um, he, he was signed, uh, by the Thunder to, um, you, his cap hold ends up being, um, 125% of the prior year salary. So that only bumps it to about 2 million. And then there is a process for those guys who are restricted free agents by which their cap hold is the greatest of their qualifying offer, what their cap hold is set at, or one other thing that's escaping me at the moment. Um, but in, in Diallo's case, his cap hold in qualifying offer 
um, his qualifying offer becomes the highest number he can be. So that also becomes his cap hold. So he's sitting on the books right now at 2.1 million or so as a restricted free agent. Got you. So I have a couple questions about that. That clears up a lot because that made a lot of sense. I was so confused with the Dennis Smith Jr. cap hold. So I'm glad we got into that. How long can another team give Hami Diallo an offer sheet? And what do you think that could look like for Hami Diallo? Yeah, they, they can do it basically as long as they want if he's a restricted free agent. Um, so they, they could do that. We actually had one of those happen, uh, years and years ago in season. You, you may remember because I think he got traded and then the trade was voided, uh, to the Pistons. You remember, uh, Donatus Moti Yunus? Yeah, sure. Um, yeah. So he was, um, and you remember, I write him right on that. He was traded to Detroit and then they found a back issue and then that trade was canceled. If I remember correctly, I think it was with the Rockets, uh, back in the day. But anyway, he was a restricted free agent at one point and the team wanted to sign him and they, they signed him in season as a restricted free agent. He had been playing overseas, uh, but the, the team, his prior team had continued to hang on to his rights. And then they, they, they ended up letting him go because they clearly weren't going to do anything with him. Um, so Diallo's case, it won't drag out that long. What will likely happen because in that case, he's, that means he's, he's not playing in the NBA this year, uh, cause he would have to go play somewhere else while they hold on to his restricted rights he's gonna play in the nba so what will my guess is what will happen is if it comes down to it he will just sign the qualifying offer for one year and 2.1 million and then he will be be back with the pistons for this coming season at that amount and then he'll be an unrestricted free agent next summer Got you. So just real quick on the Donantis, he was with Marcus Thornton to the Pistons. Um, it was a three-team deal. There was a first-round trick uh, pick involved from the Rockets, or sorry, from the Pistons to the Rockets, I assume. Yeah. Uh, he was unable to pass his physical. So Yeah, and then uh, yeah, and it was a mess because it happened right on trade deadline day. Oh. It was like <laughs> voided like days after. Yeah, I remember it just being a disaster. So um real situation. quick. What do you think Hami could see? Like if, I don't know if you do that or not, like what do you think maybe something could be offered if you think he's going to get one from another team? And then I had this question come up the other day. If an offer sheet was given, let's say the whoever, Minnesota Timberwolves come in and offer Hami a contract, are the Pistons only allowed to match that contract? Can they give him, quote unquote, some sort of better contract with more or less years, but more or less total? Like, is there any other flexibility once an offer sheet has been given? Yeah, so that's a really good question. And that it's, it's whether he signs the offer sheet or not is the kind of delineation line. Okay. So if he signs the offer sheet, then no, all the Pistons can do is match the terms of that offer sheet. They cannot uh, improve upon it in any way. They can't do anything different. They, they can only match it. Uh, if, if he comes back to them and says, Hey, you know what? I'm going to sign with the Timberwolves for $9 million and the Pistons say, you know what, we'll actually do 10 million and that they can't now, but let's just say, sure. uh, you know, for, for sake of argument here, um, if they came back and said, yeah, we, we want to do $10 million. Uh, don't sign that offer sheet. We'll do that contract. Then they can, they can do that and everybody moves on. Um, but once an offer sheet is signed, all the, the incumbent team can do is match the offer sheet. That's the best they can do. 
Got you. That makes sense. So let's go around the NBA here a little bit, Keith. We have about, I think I have you for another 15 minutes here or so, if that's okay. And yeah. we talked a little bit this about, so complete transparency. I like to be transparent with, the, I had to ask about this to make sure this was going to be a good question. So I kind of, uh, you know, cheated a little bit on this one, but the first round pay scale, can you talk to the listeners a little bit about, you know, where does that come from? And then I ask you a little bit about, are there any sort of note negotiations whatsoever that go into those contracts? Sure. Yeah. So the first round rookie scale contracts, which the Pistons have a lot of guys on uh, <laughs> right now, because they had three last year and then added Kid Cunningham this year. And uh, say, say, who uh, is still Sekou on one? Boya. Yep. Stills on his. Yep. So and I think that's it. Right. So um, w- which is an aside was why it was like, it doesn't necessarily make sense for the Pistons to uh, entertain offers from Oklahoma City to get, you know, seven first round <laughs> picks to move up to number one because they don't how many you you hit a point where it's how many kids do we need on the same team okay especially so, when you just added three last year right like it was you know nuts so that was why i was like no they they now need the best kid yes versus you know multiple uh shots at the apple here or bites oh, at the apple. so true keith so okay i'm sorry i get off track no, sometimes no, but good. so you brought the thought like I know they have a ton of assets, but like there has to be a move coming with the Thunder, right? Like they can't make 40 picks over the next six oh. drafts. Like, oh, yeah. Like, yeah. like, what is the end game? Yeah, they, and they can. It's, it's truly, I mean, they, they, they can, but you can't sign all of them. Yeah. Um, that's the problem. Yeah. They're, they're going to continue to, to, when they are ready to really start pushing forward, what they'll can what they will do is okay, you know, e- even if it comes down to, well, you know, we really want to get player X in the draft, and we 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 need to move up two spots to make sure it happens. Here's three picks for us to move up two spots. Got you. That's going to be what it is. It's going to be trying to overwhelm people with that. So got you. Um. So yeah. So to your question, so I'll use Cade Cunningham. Here's the example because because freshly signed uh, rookie scale guy. So how the rookie scale works is you get two guaranteed years followed by two team option years. These are the only contracts that can carry uh, multiple option years in them. Uh, Every other contract can only have one option year and it has to be on the last year of the deal. Um, So rookie scale deals come with two team options and then the right to make a qualifying offer and restricted free agency on the fifth season. Or of course, as we see so often, enter into a new contract extension, which will will kick in you know, starting in that fifth year. So in the case of Cunningham, 10, 10 million and change is what he's going to make this year. And, and I, I shouldn't blow off the change because it's over $50,000. I don't want to, I don't want anybody to think I'm living that kind of high life. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I'm a teacher key. So $50,000 sounds like a lot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Tell me about it. And that's what I used to do uh, way back in the day. Oh, cool. Um, so I, I get it, man. I, I hear you. So, um, but for, for Cade Cunningham, 50,000 is and change yep. now. So, um, so yeah, so 10 million, dollar contract for him so what happens the way it used to work under the old uh, collective bargaining agreement the two sides would set the rookie scale for every year moving forward but then when the salary cap would if it went up very minor amount uh, these guys contracts started getting too big when the salary cap started jumping major amounts, they started becoming almost too good of values. Because it was like, this is crazy to have a guy this good on this contract just because he's signed a rookie scale. So what they've done now is they 
they have language in that whatever percent the salary cap goes up or down by, the rookie scale contract will adjust by the same amount. So in this case is, let's just say it was $10 million even. If the salary cap went up 10%, the next year, that pick would be worth $11 million uh, in terms of first year salary. So that's, that's how, how they set the amounts now. They, they go up based off of how much the salary cap goes up. In, in theory, if the salary cap was to ever decline, they would go down by the same amount. Um, but we haven't seen the salary cap decline in a very, 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 very long time. So um, the other thing is when a player side, because you asked, is there incentives you can yeah. put in there or bonuses? Yeah. What happens with a rookie scale contract is players, there's a 100% scale amount, um, which is in the case of Cade Cunningham, it's roughly, it was like almost 9 million bucks, if I remember right. But players can sign for anywhere between 80% to 120% of the scale amount. In the case of Cunningham, he signed for 120%. As a matter of fact, in the case of every player in on this free agent class, they signed for 120% of the scale amount. It is pretty rare that a guy takes less. Uh, the last one to do it, again, kind of weird that this is all tying back, but a, a pick the Pistons traded, uh, Kevin Porter Jr., oh, okay. um, who was the last pick of the first round a couple years ago. Um, when they gave that pick to the Cavs, the Cavs drafted Kevin Porter Jr. with an understanding of, you you're going to take less than 120% of the scale amount. So huh. you're you're going to take a little bit less cuz they were working around some luxury tax issues okay. and okay. things like that. So every once in a while you get one of those do you, do you remember a guy named Josh uh uh Heistis or Houston? Yeah, uh, sure. Played played for the Thunder. He was a very shocking first round draft pick and everybody's like what in the world is going on here? Came to find out later it's cuz he agreed he would sign for the 80% of the scale. Amount. <laughs> so that's part of what goes into it, but 99% of the time guys take the full 120 and go. Now what some teams will do just to protect themselves is they will put in their language and it usually starts if a guy's drafted late lottery sometimes or, or just after the lottery, what they'll do is they'll say, all right, we're signing you for 120% of the scale amount, but there's bonus language in there that you're going to have to attend summer league. You're going to have to do off-season workouts. Uh, every once in a while, they might put one in there on a player, and you're going to have to meet a weight requirement or something like that to, to be able to get the full amount. Um, but for all intents and purposes, as we get into the the what the cap hit is, it's still 120%. And guys never say, nah, I'm good. I'm not going to summer league or anything like that. Um, so yeah, so that that's that's where 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 it kind of comes together. Uh with that last thing I'll say about the rookie scale, because a lot of people don't know this too, the team options. So let's talk about the guys you just drafted last year, uh Bay, Hayes, and Stewart. Their team options for 22-23, so next, not this upcoming season, but the one after that, they actually have to be decided on by 
by Halloween, by October okay. 31st of this season. It's always a couple weeks into the new league year. Um, you you have to a year out, you have to decide if you're going to pick up that team option or not. Uh, in the case of all three of those guys, clearly the Pistons will do that and they, they will pick those up. Um, but if you decline a team option, the player then becomes an unrestricted free agent and you are limited to paying them a first-year salary equal to that of the declined team option. So let's use uh, Sadiq Bay as an example, $2.9 million team option for the 22-23 season. If the Pistons were to decline that for some reason, of course they won't. We know this. Um, but if they were, uh, they could only pay him a first-year salary up to, two, to $2.9 million. It kind of closes the loophole of saying, wow, Sadiq Bay is awesome. Let's sign him to a you know, a max contract right away. Oh, okay. I got it, you. It closes down that loophole. So, so that's the one thing. So people will start to say like, wait, Sadiq Bey wasn't definitely on the roster. They picked up his team option. It's not for this coming season. It's for the season after. And, you're gonna and that'll happen the next two seasons, right? Like that'll happen yep. ne- next year for the 2023, yep. 2024. So, so yep. that- in 2023, 2024, it'll happen for Cade Cunningham yeah, too, please. even though he'll have been literally on the roster for, <laughs> for one season and a month into another season <laughs> at that point. So that protects against like the LeBron James who, you know, like the, the, the Cavs yeah, couldn't exactly. have just, you know, declined and then gave him the max money right then, yep. right off the bat. Okay. Exactly. That I, I'm glad we got into that. Cause that was a lot of really good stuff. I, I didn't know. So um, a couple more things. I, I'm really fascinated just me personally, at least by the sign in trades and how those come together. So we had a few this year that I wrote down, uh, you know, Lonzo ball to the bulls, DeRozan to the bulls, Devonte Graham to the Pelicans. And I'm always interested, like, can you give a little insight? to like the incentive from each side, like um, especially the team that's signing that player, like DeMar DeRozan, especially to the Bulls. What was the uh, the Bulls incentive for doing a sign and trade with him when he was an unrestricted free agent? Yeah, so that one's the, the easy one to, oh, okay. To, okay. to do because they had no other way to get him at the salary amount he wanted. Uh, they did not have the cap space to offer him the nearly, well, well what did he sign for? I want to say it's about $26 million or so in the, the first year. Uh, well, let me pull it up. Yep, $26 million even. Um, so for them to get get him at $26 million, they needed to be able to to have it structured as a sign and trade because they didn't have the cap space to offer okay. him that kind of contract. Okay, that makes yeah, of course. Yep. Okay, yep. Uh, Lonzo Ball, that one's it, it. That one's a little different because the Bulls ended up operating above the cap anyway, and then that got rolled into that trade where Devontae Graham went to the Pelicans. Oh, that's right. That all that got, got put all together, huh? Combined, but let, let's use Evan Fournier. Or, okay, uh, or. Uh, no, because we don't know that's going to be a sign of trade. Gordon Hayward last year. Okay. Perfect example. Okay. So the Charlotte Hornets could have just outright signed Gordon Hayward to the contract they were giving him because they used cap space to give him that deal. So they didn't need the Celtics to, to work with them to trade him there or anything like that. For the Celtics side, the motivation was, all right, this guy's leaving anyway. Let's get something for him. For sure. Let's create in that case, they created the, um, what is, was the largest, uh, trade exception in the in NBA history at 28.5 million. So what the Celtics were able to do was say, Hey, we'll give you a couple second round picks to essentially do exactly what you were going to do anyway. Um, you know, and it allows us this flexibility. So in the Hornets case, they're looking at and saying, yeah, sure. We'll take a couple free second round picks. Why not? 
Um, sometimes there's a case of the player really wants to be on another team and their only path is like the DeRozan situation sure. where it's a sign and trade. And then other times it's, all right, uh, we're going to lose the player um, in free agency. So let's try to recoup some value for him. That's kind of the Lonzo Ball situation of, all right, we're going to lose him. So let's turn it into a way for us to get Devontae Graham and bring him in. And that's how that one kind of comes together. So uh, the, the big things with signing trades that are important to note is um, it's the sign part is the most important part of it because the player has to agree. <laughs> you can't just <laughs> say, you know what, hey, we're going to sign you to this. The Spurs couldn't just tell DeMar DeRozan we're signing you for $26 million and trading you to the Bulls. DeMar DeRozan could say, no, thanks. I'll go play for the Lakers for you know $5 million. See you later. Um, you know, which clearly he wasn't going to do, but uh, just, you know, the sign part is very, very important. I think people forget that because people are just like, yeah. And it's like, I get asked, hey, can't they just do a sign and trade? And I'm like, but why would that guy want to go to that team? <laughs> yeah, sure. Um, you know, there. And then the trade part is important too because there's also the assumption of, well, it would just be a trade. And it's like, well, what am I getting back? You know, well, why, why do I want it? take anything back from you in a trade. I know you can't get them any other way, but make it worth my while. And again, in the case of, of uh, DeMar DeRozan in the Spurs and the Bulls, the the Spurs got a first round pick out of it. So, you know, and, and they, they, Thaddeus Young and Alfred Camino, those are mostly salaries at that point um, for them, uh, salary matching wise, but they might be able to flip that Young in another trade and, and get something out of it. But for the most part, you're, you're doing that. And then the last thing I'll say on signing trades, it does hard cap the team that is acquiring the player, not the team that trades the player. So if you acquire a player through a sign and trade, you, you end up with a hard cap and that, that can get a little messy to work around at times uh, for teams, just depending on what their finances look like. Got you. Got you. Cause I know like the, the I forgot the Devonte Graham one got all involved with the Lonzo ball one, because I know, you know, the Hornets kind of ended up good right there. Get, they ended up getting a first round pick from the Pelicans. Is that correct in that, yeah. in, in that mess? Yeah. So, um, you know, it, it just, it's always interesting to me that, you know, and it makes, I, I should have known better with the DeRozan and the, the salary cap situation, but it's just always interesting to me how, you know, it seemed like with Lonzo, the report came out, the Bulls were going to sign him and then nope. Oh, it's going to be a sign in trade. And then it got all these other pieces together. It just, it's just fascinating to me how all that stuff gets intertwined. Yeah, they, they, they are complex. They can be kind of hard to put together and all those things. Uh, there's also, that's why we're kind of having the nonsense going right now. Yeah, like, sure. Hey, uh, Miami <laughs> and Toronto, Chicago and New Orleans. How early were you guys talking to sign <laughs> trade? Because uh, it's amazing that, you know, two minutes after free agency opened, uh, you already had this agreement on this you know, wildly complex thing. Um, so, yes, yeah, so that's where we, we, uh, you, know, we hey, you know, my opinion on the tanking stuff is everybody does it. Let's all just, you know, stop being dumb and let's all, you know, move, 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 move along about our day. But, you know, that, that, that's a whole other podcast. We can for hours. Absolutely. <laughs> we'll, we'll just stick to they were both working on it on their own in without any communication between <laughs> yeah. them. And it, it just sure. happened. They, they came up with the both, both with the same thing at seven Oh two. I have a bridge in Brooklyn. I would like to say. <laughs> um, all right. Just a, a few more. And then I'm gonna let you go, Keith one, sure. and then a couple quick hitters. So first I have to ask about Dennis Schroeder because I have a, I played college basketball and me and my former teammates have a group chat and they would kill me if I didn't ask you for at least some context on what happened here 
did he really, I mean, the report was a four point four year, $84 million off from, from the Lakers. He ends up in Boston one for 5.9. Um, was it just a misjudge of the market? Did the money dry up? What happened with Dennis Schroeder? Yeah, it seems to be that they completely misplayed their hand and looked at it and said, all right, you know what? Four years, 84 million, 21 million average annual value. We think we can get more uh, on the open market or you'll, it'll go so great here in LA. You'll want to resign him for that. And clearly neither one of those things happened. So I think now what we're really kind of looking at is uh, this is a situation where, where he, he just, it did not work out well for him. Um, so now he, he took, I think, the best offer that was left for him in terms of role and a chance to play a big role on a pretty good team that uh, will keep him kind of top of mind for everybody. Cause he could have said, you know, all right, I'll go sign with Cleveland and play a ton of minutes and do stuff. And people would be like, yeah, great. You're on Cleveland. You know, who cares? Um, so now, you know, he's going to be there for front of mind with everybody on the, um, on the Celtics. And they're going to be looking at it and saying, all right, you know, Hey, at, uh, you know, 5.9 million. Um, I'm not the biggest Dennis Schroeder fan in the world, but that's a value you can't pass up at that kind of money. Absolutely. I'm interested to see how that plays out with the team in Boston and, and you know, what, what role do you think he'll, is he going to start there? I don't know. We're going to see. Um, I was told by someone who would know that there were no promises made to him okay. that he would start, uh, what his role would be, anything like that. It was basically, Hey, you know, clearly he'll play. Sure. Um, sure. You know, let's not be, be silly about it, but it was, you know, we, we like Marcus smart. We like Peyton Pritchard, but we think you could come in and give us a, a little bit of a different dynamic. So it wouldn't be a surprise to me if he starts because, if he doesn't, the offense might be a little bit short in the opening group uh, for the Celtics. So, you know, I think he could start um, at the point and then kind of see you know, what it looks like there. He's it, the the good thing is he is uh, he's not one of these point guards who needs the ball all the time to to you know just pound it into the floor and do his thing. He's he's used to playing off of other guys. He's done that quite a bit. Uh, throughout his career. So I th- think that's something if you're Boston, you're looking at and saying, all right, you know, hey, we could make this work with him starting. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's probably my guess is just looking at the way the Celtics uh, have uh, put this roster together. It's going to be a lot of uh, mixing and matching, probably depending on what they need that night. If they need a little bit more defense, Schroeder probably goes to the bench. If they need a little more offense, he probably starts. If they want to go big, uh, he goes to the bench. If, if they're content to play a little smaller, he could probably start. So I think you're going to see uh, Ime Doka mix and match quite a bit with their personnel. And got you. So last two questions, Keith, and then I'll get you out of here and you can give me a, a very short, you know, one, two word answer, or you can expand it if, if you would like, but is there a contract that you, when you saw it, it just in, instantly jumped off of you as man, that's a great contract for that team. It was under market value. Um, was there one of those that really stood out to you? Um, under market value. I really like Bobby Portis's deal with the Bucks. Oh, okay, thought, yeah, you know that one two years nine million. I mean that's ridiculous. Uh, you know for for him and everything he brought that team. Uh, but that one's also factoring he he really didn't want to leave. Um, I think Daniel Tice's deal with the Rockets personnel there is a little confusing. I'm not entirely sure what they're going to do at the big man position, but I thought him getting about 9 million or so per year uh, where it really worked out well. And then 
after the full details came out, it's really hard to um, see the Chris Paul trade as yep. anything but a great value. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, because, you know, there's so, so little guaranteed money that I think it really looks great for, for them. I think uh, Rashawn Holmes deal with the Kings is a really good one too. I think Mike Conley's contract ended up pretty fair with the jazz. So the te- teams did pretty good work. There, there's, uh, I could give you probably five or six more uh, that I feel, feel pretty good about it. There's less on the other side because they, and that that's odd because usually on the other side, uh, you know, I could, you know, spend the next hour telling you, you know, how terrible all, all the, they, these contracts were. So we're going to get to there just in a second, but I'm glad you brought up Chris Paul. Cause that was, I don't know if there's ever a contract, especially in the NBA. I feel like this happens in the NFL a lot. You're like, wait for the details, but that Chris Paul trade, when it got, you know, when it came out, I was like, man, that's, that's fine for years one and two, but by year three and four, he's going to be this old and that contract's not going to look as good. And then here we go. It's what partially guaranteed in year three and team option in year four. And yeah. all of a sudden it looks like a perfect contract for the Suns, And I assume still a really good contract for Chris Paul, but um, let, so let's do go the other way. You said, you know, this year compared to most, there wasn't as many of those. I'll do it. I'll, I'll put a positive spin on it. A great contract <laughs> for the player. Yeah. Uh, like <laughs> um, were there any of those that really stood out to you in the moment? Yeah, there's a couple. I, I did DeMar DeRozan one feels yep. like a wild overpay to, to me. I'm not entirely sure why um, uh, Chicago felt the need to, to give him that much money. Um well, we'll see. You know, I get it. They're trying to change their culture. They're trying to turn things around and go in a different direction. So, so I, I can, can, can see it from, from that standpoint. Um, I don't love the Kyle Lowry contract, Okay, but for this year, it's perfectly fine. I have no real issues with it. I think that's a, a really good value for what um, he's going to give them this year. And, and quite frankly, if you win this year, or next year, that third year who really cares right it doesn't even you know, really matter uh and then the one that it just it again as it's come out and we've actually seen what the deal was signed for and there's only you know less than half of it is guaranteed um the uh, uh zach collins contract with the spurs uh, just very confusing that they even gave him seven million guaranteed in in year one, and then three plus million in year two, uh, for a guy who just hasn't stayed healthy. He broke his foot uh, while rehabbing from another injury, uh, so that you know I'm just you're worried that that's going to be one where you basically took that and just kind of threw it into the trash uh, with that one. But you know, overall, in the end, not did not. Not not terrible, right? I think these teams did did pretty good work of uh, you know getting their their guys um uh, paid fairly properly this off season. Absolutely. So, Keith, I'm going to let you go. I said we we went a little long, so I apologize. I hope that was okay. No but but thank Absolutely you so. Good. Thank you so much for coming on. I would love to have you, you know, back again down the road. This was awesome. I had a blast. I, you know, there was a few questions I didn't even get to, but um, hopefully I'll get a chance to have you back on and do that. I want to give you a chance here. Let everybody know where they can find you, social media and, and all the amazing work that you do and content you put out. Yeah, uh, you can find my written work at um, Spot Track if you 
like what we talked about here uh, on this uh, podcast, it's um, we, we can get into uh, over at spot track. It's all contract related stuff. It's all those kind of things uh, there. So yeah, it's um, you, you can find me there. You can also uh, find Celtic specific coverage on Celtics blog as part of SB nation and then uh, Spotify green rooms. I host rooms there a few times a week. We'll get back to that. Uh, free agency was just too busy for me to uh, take time out, but, but I do rooms over there and I, treat it kind of like old school talk radio you hop on and we we get into whatever it is you want to get into and talk and then uh front office show is my uh uh, youtube channel and podcast with my buddy trevor lane where again if you liked this uh, style of podcast talking about transactions all that sorts of stuff uh that's what we do over there so that is um yeah, what well, well, we do. So yeah, uh, you know, happy to have you guys check me out. And then uh, of course on Twitter, I, I tweet a lot, but at Keith Smith and yeah, you can find me on there. So absolutely must follow Keith Smith on Twitter. If you're on Twitter and then if you have any questions about contracts, anything like that, you need to go to spot track. That's what I use exclusively. I go there, I check out the contracts. It gets up to date. It shows you pending transactions, all that stuff, guys, that's you where you need to be again. Thank you so much, Keith, for joining the podcast. Uh, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. As always, I want to thank all of you, the listeners, for making uh, listening to the Motor City Hoops podcast, making it part of your week. I hope you're enjoying the direction I've taken it with these amazing guests. I continue to encourage interaction, whether on Twitter, the Detroit Bad Boy website, leaving a comment, whatever it is. I thrive on that feedback, and I want to know what you want to want to hear from me and my guests. Again, I appreciate you greatly, and we'll talk to you soon. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Motor City Hoops podcast. Please give us a rating, drop a review, and subscribe. For more content, including video breakdowns, make sure you follow us at Motor City Hoops on Twitter. I hope you join us next episode. Until then, be safe and be well.